0: Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wise, and I want to thank you for tuning in for some Texas history today. Well, things have been really hopping around world headquarters. I just finished an article that's going to be published in the Journal of the Texas Supreme Court Historical Society a commemorative issue celebrating the 100th anniversary of the conclusion of World War One. So don't worry, I will post that on our social media channels when it comes out. It's going to be a great celebration. There's going to be an event in Austin on November the 14th in the Supreme Court courtroom uh, commemorating the lawyers and judges that fought in World War I. And so if you're around the Austin area on November the 14th, be sure to check that out. Continuing the work over here on the Wise About Texas YouTube channel, we've got a couple dozen Texas History Minute videos shot from different parts of the state. Uh, so that's still a work in progress, and uh, we're all fighting for spare time, so bear with me. The, the channel is up. It's wise about Texas, but the uh, it's not exactly polished yet. Um, and working on a book project that I just recently started, requiring a lot of research in Austin, which uh, is fun and interesting, uh, but time-consuming, so I guess... Uh, I guess it never ends, but I love it, and I hope you love it as much as I do, and uh, that's why you're tuning in to Wise About Texas. Well, it's been a little while since the f- I did the first episode on the Texas Rangers, so today we're going to expand on an event that was mentioned in that episode. That was episode 50 of Wise About Texas, by the way, and uh, as I mentioned in that episode and others, um, I, I think my strategy for the podcast is going to be to tell stories that are pieces of bigger events. I'm not going to try to capture the Texas Rangers in one or two episodes. It's not, um, that would not be the best or most interesting way to do it. So uh, we're going to tell stories about the Texas Rangers. And in episode 50, I talked about the beginning of the Rangers and uh, how they came about and some of, the, some of the arguments that we have about who was really, who were the first Rangers, et cetera. Uh, And I also talked about a particular battle, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Our story occurs in 1836, a family living on the Guadalupe River, and by the way, uh, in the 1800s they pronounced the name of that river Warloop. Most of us say Guadalupe or Guadalupe, Uh, very few of us try to give it its honest Spanish pronunciation, uh, so I apologize for that, but we're just going to call it Guadalupe River. Uh, One of the few families in the area was beset by Indians, but this Indian attack was different than some of the local skirmishes that early Texas settlers were used to. These were the fearsome Comanche. This story recounts another lesson for settlers along the Water but a new lesson for the Comanches, taught by a new group of Texans who would take the fight to the Indians, the Texas Rangers. We're going to start this story with a reminder from episode 50 of the origins of the force we now call the Texas Rangers. Ranging really uh, was less about who was doing it and more about how they were doing it. Uh, And the concept of the Ranger was the idea that you would have a troop that would take the fight into enemy territory and fight the enemy where they were, not wait for the enemy to attack And then in 1823, we talked about the famous letter that Stephen F. Austin wrote asking for authorization to raise a company of 10 Rangers that Austin himself was going to pay for. And it's that 1823 letter, August 1823, that everyone generally accepts as the origin of the Texas Rangers. And that's where the present day Texas Rangers trace their lineage. Well, as revolution brewed with Mexico the Indians saw an opportunity uh, to take advantage of some of the disarray in the Texas settlements. And they uh, began to depredate, which is always the word that we use uh, in association with the Indian harassment of the settlers. Uh, They began to depredate around the settlements. And the provisional government of Texas, now I've just jumped about uh, 10 or 12 years here from the 1820s into the 1830s and the uh, consultation in late 1835, November 1835, and that was one of several meetings and consultations among the settlers going back to even a little bit before the Anahuac disturbances of 1832, where they would get together and discuss uh, the politics of what was going to happen in Texas. Were we going to be a separate state in Mexico? Were we going to be a separate country? Well, anyway, the consultation in late 1835, and this is after the Battle of Gonzales, which occurred on October the 2nd, 1835, so shots had already been fired. They got together and they authorized, among other things, the formation of a ranger company to protect against Indian attacks from the northwest frontier. Now, the northwest frontier was basically Austin, or a little bit north of that, and there were Indian attacks coming from that direction, and they needed some ranging protection. And the captain of this company was a man named John J. Tumlinson, actually John J. Tumlinson, Jr. So let's talk about the Tumlinson family name, because if you read early Texas history, you will see the Tumlinson family name all over the place. Um, The Captain Tumlinson that we're talking about was the son of another Captain John J. Tumlinson who had come to Texas in 1821 and settled near what is now Columbus in Colorado County, and he was the alcalde of that area in Austin's colony. He recognized uh, the Indian problem and the need to do something about it, and in 1823 was traveling to San Antonio to discuss that very subject with the uh, Mexican governor of Texas when the Indians caught him and killed him, and we think that was near Seguin, give or take. Well, his son, John Tomlinson, is our captain for today. He arrived in Texas later, about 1829, and lived near Quero. Um, his assignment as captain of this new ranger company was to build a blockhouse, a fort, near uh, what was known as Hornsby's Bend, uh, which was a bend in the Colorado River where settler Reuben Hornsby had settled. And uh, again, that was an early eastern, uh, a little bit east, a little bit downriver of present-day Austin, Um, and they were going to protect that northwest frontier. So, Tumlinson raised a company of men and went to do just that. Now, in the meantime, we need to meet another family, early Texas family, named Hibbins. John Hibbins settled in the DeWitt colony. He settled a few miles north of present-day Cuero, Texas. He married a lady named Sarah McSherry. Now, Miss McSherry was a widow when she met Mr. Hibbins, and uh, she had settled with her first husband uh, near a spring on what came to be called Little Carlisle Creek. And her nearest, now this was a little bit north of uh, the Quero area we're talking about, her nearest neighbor 10 miles away was Andrew Lockhart. So think about the, the intrepid nature of these settlers. They were settling up and down... Guadalupe River up and down the Colorado River, many miles apart. I mean, they were essentially alone. Well one day uh, in the spring at the spring in front of their house, uh, Mr. McSherry went out to get water and uh, was killed by an Indian war party. Sarah, his wife, was watching from the cabin with their new baby boy James. She saw it happen. They killed him and scalped him in seconds. She barred the door. The Indians went back and forth deciding whether to attack the cabin and for whatever reason decided not to. Well, uh, Miss McSherry and her baby were rescued later by a man named McCrabb who was just riding through the country and, as was customary, was going to stop at the McSherry place and spend the night where he discovered uh, what had happened. So he immediately put Miss McSherry and her uh, young baby James on his horse and walked them to the Lockhart residence and to safety. Eventually, Miss McSherry met John Hibbins. They married, and they themselves had a child. So she is now Sarah Hibbins. And uh, in summer of 1835, Sarah took the children and went on a trip to Illinois to visit her family. She returned with her brother uh, named creeth George Creeth, uh, who wanted to settle in Texas. So they came down through New Orleans, from Illinois to New Orleans, and then sailed to Columbia on the Brazos River. And Mr. Hibbins met them there with an ox cart to pick them up from their journey. So um, I realize picking people up from the airport is somewhat inconvenient these days, but it could be a lot worse. You could have to take an ox cart all the way down to Columbia and pick them up off a boat. So uh, think about that next time uh, we got to run a few errands. Anyway, they uh, head back to their homestead, and they were camping near a creek about a day away from home when an Indian raiding party came down on them, immediately killed Mr. Hibbins and uh, Mr. Creeth, and they captured Sarah Hibbins and the two children. Well, the, uh, James McSherry was now, uh, I think, about seven years old. It's kind of hard to determine, but I think he's about seven. And uh, the, the Hibbinses had had a new baby, well, uh, they started north with their captives, and as happened more than once, uh, the baby would not stop crying. So an Indian grabbed the baby by the legs and dashed his brains out right in front on a tree, right in front of his mother, Miss Hibbins. So she suffered greatly. One interesting account that I found of this situation. Uh, claims that Miss Hibbins, as they traveled north, and they were traveling between the Colorado and the Waterloop River, about 60 miles east of San Antonio. And Miss Hibbins, I guess Miss Hibbins relayed this to somebody. But this account I was reading said that Miss Hibbins could hear the guns at the Alamo during the battle, uh, 60 miles away. Not so sure, but sound does carry a little farther in the winter. Um... This was supposedly verified because Miss Hibbins had mentioned a great battle in San Antonio to people who did not know uh, that the Battle of Alamo had occurred. So I don't know if that actually happened or not. I have my doubts, but it's a cool story. Eventually, the Indians and in their captives reached Shoal Creek near Austin, and Miss Hibbins was determined to escape. So one night, Miss Hibbins slipped out of camp and started walking down the creek toward the Colorado River. She managed to hide during the day. Uh, the Indians got made her son call out to her in an effort to get her to come back. She heard that but remained silent, uh, which must have just been agony for her. But also she had made the decision that the only way that they were going to get him back is if she went and got help. So she stayed silent. Uh, the Indians looked for her, couldn't find her and left. So she continued walking down the Colorado River, and there's two different accounts of the time uh, that I found. One account talks about her hearing uh, roosters crowing and knowing she was near civilization, probably Hornsby's, uh, Reuben Hornsby's house. Another account says that she saw milk cows in the distance and waited until they had finished eating and started wandering home and followed them. Either way, she ended up at Reuben Hornsby's Place, coincidentally, Tomlinson and his rangers were also at Reuben Hornsby's place, and the description of Miss Hibbins as she wandered into camp is something. Suffice to say, her clothes were almost torn off her body. The thorns that she had walked through, she was a bloody mess and uh, bruised, almost beyond recognition. Probably partially from her treatment by her captives, and and then of course the uh, uh, what we think is about a ten-mile walk that she made to Hornsby's. Well, Captain Tumlinson knew the Hibbins, or knew Sarah Hibbins, because he had lived in Quero, and she, when she was in McSherry, had lived near there. Um, He ordered the rangers immediately to saddle up. They rode overnight to what they thought was close enough to the Indian camp that they could stop. They rested the horses, uh, got up, and rode in the morning up to the Indian camp, finding it about 9 a.m., according to Tumlinson's recollection. Tumlinson describes that the Indians saw the rangers about the same time the rangers saw the Indians, but the Indians didn't have time to get to their horses, so took off on foot into some thickets. Tumlinson split his force, uh, put some men below the Indians, some men above, to try to cut them off. Early in the fight, an Indian took aim at Tumlinson, who was still mounted, and he assessed that that Indian wasn't going to hit him. Now, these would have been black powder weapons. Wasn't going to hit him, so he rode right past him uh, a pretty fair distance and jumped off his horse and turned around to confront the Indian. Now, uh, this was a period of time, and we've talked about this in earlier episodes, when the settlers of Texas were largely woodsmen from the east. They were used to fighting on foot. The idea of fighting from horseback was not something that was in their Uh, area of expertise so they would often dismount. Now later when Jack Hayes and others uh, taught the Rangers to fight more like the Comanches uh, they'd learn to stay mounted but at this time that wasn't the case so Tumlinson gets off his horse spins around the Indian shoots, and the bullet went through Tumlinson's shirt missed him but killed his horse. Tumlinson then fired uh, he describes it as quote aiming deliberately close quote and uh, killed the Indian. Tumlinson then writes that the fighting became general, which is uh, what all these old battle reports say when I think what they really mean is chaos. The Indians were trying to get away. Tumlinson counted 13. They were headed for the thickets. The Rangers were chasing them, and the Indians made it into thick enough brush that the Rangers had to give up the chase. But what they did get was uh, they got James McSherry back. They got all of the Indians horses and mules, although he does mention that in order to get uh, the child off the mule, they had to shoot it because it was so wild. They found several uh, horses in the Indian's herd that had been stolen from other settlers, and the Rangers got together and presented Captain Tumlinson with the best horse that they had found uh, to replace the one that he had lost in the battle. They counted four Indian dead, and... Only two rangers wounded, they made it back to uh, where Miss Hibbins was later that night, and here's what Tumlinson writes upon encountering Miss Hibbins quote. Lieutenant Rogers presented the child to its mother, in the scene which here ensued, Beggar's description. A mother meeting with her child, released from Indian captivity, recovered, as it were, from the very jaws of death. Not an eye was dry. She called us brothers and every other endearing name and would have fallen on her knees to worship us. She hugged her child to her bosom as if fearful that she would again lose him. And, but tis useless to say more, close quote. It was a very moving scene for those Rangers. And the reason it was so moving is the reason that this battle is so significant. This was the first recorded battle between Texas Rangers and Comanche Indians. And that started what would become a series of battles in a long-running 40-plus year war between Texans and Comanches. Over time, the Rangers would learn uh, better the ways of the Indians. Uh, The Indians would take many captives, not all of which were eager to return to society despite rescue at the hands of the Rangers. The rangers would learn to ride, they would learn the tactics of the Comanche, and they would learn how to counter them. And it all started in 1836 near Walnut Creek and Austin, Texas. Well, Whatever became of Miss Hibbins? Well, it turns out she lived with the Hornsby's family, and when the runaway scrape occurred uh, after the fall of the Alamo, the, the battle which she claimed to have heard, uh, she took part in that runaway scrape with the Hornsby family. Uh, she married later that year, June 1836, married a man named Stennett, Claiborne Stennett. Stennett later became the sheriff of Gonzales County. Uh, he and Sarah had a daughter. But in 1838, he, Stennett mysteriously disappeared. He was on a business trip to Linville uh, on the coast south of Victoria. He had $700 with him and a loaded pack horse. And uh, he approached a campfire late one evening, um, was going to spend the night there, one must assume, and uh, was later found dead. And the speculation was that he, too, had been killed by Indians. But but about five years later, uh, there were two runaway slaves in prison in Mexico uh, that confessed to a Colonel Andrew Neal uh, that they had actually been the ones to murder Stennett, and they told, uh, exactly where it occurred. Um, so now Sarah was a widow three times over with a child from each husband and, but she decided to marry again for a fourth time in 1839 to, uh, in Gonzales to, uh, Colonel Philip Howard, who was a Kentuckian and had served in the Texas army in 1836. They lived just outside San Antonio near Mission San Juan, where James McSherry, was attacked again by Comanches. He was out tending some horses, but he escaped. There was a big, uh, there was a battle after that, and uh, but Sarah and, and James McSherry escaped that. Uh, later, they moved down the San Antonio River to Goliad County, where their neighbors were later murdered by Indians and their homestead destroyed. Colonel Howard took Sarah and the family to Lavaca County after that, near Hallettsville. Where finally uh, Sarah was able to live in peace after a dozen or so years of uh, constant harassment by the Indians. So she deserved a little bit of a quiet life. But she'll always be remembered as responsible for the first battle between the Texas Rangers and the Comanche Indians. Now we come to the part of the show I call Getting There, where I tell you how to go see some of the places I talked about in the episode. This is an interesting problem with the Battle of Walnut Creek, because they never really marked where it occurred. Um, I did find a database of Indian battles in Texas, and they have the battle marked at the Walnut Creek Wastewater Treatment Plant area in Austin. Now that's located at 7113 FM 969 in Austin. Now I don't want all of you listeners going down there and knocking on the door of this wastewater treatment plant, um, but that's going to be a decent guess of the general area where this would have occurred, probably. So if that's uh, conditional enough for you, there you go. Uh, you can find the mouth of Shoal Creek as it runs into the Colorado River. And uh, Miss Hibbins would have walked from Austin Uh, several miles down that river uh, to Hornsby's place. The Hornsby Cemetery is located and has a historical marker in it uh, southwest of the intersection of FM 969 and FM 973 in Austin, and there are a couple of markers talking about the Tumlinson family located in downtown Columbus, which is always a very pleasant place to visit, lots of history in that town. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Wise About Texas. Thank you very much for tuning in today. a couple of weeks, this episode is being released uh, 1st of October in 2018. We've got the former Texas Ranger Foundation Gala, where I'll be, uh, in San Marcos uh, uh, on October the 13th. any listeners out there going to the former Ranger Gala, please look me up. I'll be there. Uh, Go to the Wise About Texas Facebook page. Give it a like. And you'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at WiseAboutTexas. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Wise About Texas. Go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.